the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 513, for Sunday, August 3rd, 2014. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the podcast where... You send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer your questions, we share your tips, and we share cool stuff found. And that's what today's episode will focus mainly upon is the latter there. It is time for cool stuff found. So uh, so get your, I know, get your wallets ready. You, uh, you always say that these are the expensive episodes to listen to, but they're so worth it. Uh, so that's what, uh, that's what we're doing here today. This episode is sponsored in part by Smile at smilesoftware.com. And today we'll talk a little bit more about PDF Pen for iPad, uh, including some new styluses that it works with. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing, John F. Braun? Good. 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 Yeah, just gearing up for this, going through my pile of goodies. Uh, yeah. Finding, uh, you know, things I've seen at various shows that uh, I think people would be interested in, as, as did you and, and our listeners, of course. So. And our listeners, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, it's fun. I, I love these shows. They're, uh, they're fun. It, it, they're easy. Well, I'd say they're easy to prep for. They're easy to prep for because the prep happens sort of organically over a period of, of weeks or sometimes even months, as opposed to, you know, having to take the, all the questions in one week and just cram them and do them. As the cool stuff found comes in, we sort of, we, 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 we process it and we set it into its own queue. And then when it's time for a cool stuff found show, it's like, Oh, here it is. So it is fun, but it does take some work to go back through and say, what was that thing? I know we put it on the list for a reason. Why? You know, and then we have to look back at it, but uh, I wonder if we could talk about one thing, Dave, because uh, as, as you recall, the last episode, we had a little uh, technical difficulty. We had many technical difficulties in the last episode, but I'm, I'm curious to hear how, how yours, uh, your network, uh, your, your, your ethernet network basically become, became non-functional uh, at, at either at an entire level or, or certainly at a level enough such that you had to connect wirelessly for us to, to resume the show. So what happened? Right. Um, I eventually, it, it happened, this has happened to my, uh, wired network once before. Okay. Um, and basically, uh, so the last time I was able to identify the problem because I, I got, um, Wireshark and I put it on the network and uh-huh. I was just looking to see what traffic there was on the network. Um, so what happened is, yeah, my, my local wire network was getting saturated with so much traffic that nothing was working and that, you know, I couldn't even get an IP address. And, you know, this came up during the last episode because I was getting all of a sudden I got a 169 address. So, um, so that's my wired connection, which is DHCP's way of saying I, 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 I'm too busy or there's something wrong. I can't give you an IP address. Well, it wasn't that you couldn't get an IP address. It was that you stopped being able to communicate. Right. And then you rebooted and didn't get an IP address right. upon reboot. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then I was looking at, you know, my switch and all the lights were green, which, you know, I indicated to you meant that everything was working great on my local sure. network. What's, 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 what's wrong with you? No. Other than as the fact that no out, data would pass. As it, as it turned out what happened, and this has happened once before, and I, I, I do want to dig in 
to find out why this happens, but basically it was my transporter was barfing traffic on my network. Interesting. What kind now I know I, because we talked about it in pre-show in, in the, in a, in the previous instance of this, you tested it with wire shark and saw it barfing. This time I think you just reset it and problems went away. So you did yeah, basically cycle power on the yeah. transporter. Um, okay. And I reset the switch. Well, sure. first I reset the switch that didn't do it. It didn't you know, solve so. it. Okay. Well, that was your suggestion. Yeah. That's a good suggestion. I mean, switches can get wonky and yep. get confused. And this is, you know, an inexpensive switch or, a, you know, a port could have failed. Sure. But yeah, no, it, it turned out uh, I had to, you know, I cycled power in the transporter and then everything went back to normal. Now, the so, last uh, time this happened, do you remember what type of packets it was barfing out onto the network? Was it ARP, ARP packets or was it something else? I, I'll have to look. I, I, I believe I did a, a capture because with okay. Wireshark or mini tools, you can do a capture and save it in a stand. I think it's uh, called a PCAP file. So you can, st- you can save it in a standard format and then bring it back later. I'll, I'll have to dig in and okay. uh, see if I made a note of that. But uh, that was the problem. I, I, I don't know what caused it or. Interesting. Yeah. But, well, uh, y- you know, I have, um, I have seen this before. Uh, in fact, I've seen it many times on my home network, so much so that when it happens, I know exactly what to do. And so do people in my family. The iMac that I have in the house uh, would do, start doing the same thing that you're talking about here. It would start barfing so much data out and it would be locked up. Right. You couldn't you know, you couldn't wake it up. You couldn't do anything to it. You just have to you know, hold power uh, for 10 seconds so that it, it shuts off. Um, but it would it would cascade very quickly and kill any ability for anything in the house uh, or the office to to communicate wired. And then because of the way my wireless network is, that basically means that my wireless network was down unless I was connected to the main router in the in the living room. So uh, I've seen this before, and it it's usually ARP packets um, from the iMac. But, you know, that, it, as I'm saying that. I realized that I did just recently replace, and I told you about this in the last show. I just recently replaced the switch there because although it was acting uh, on the surface, like it was working fine, it had stopped passing data uh, in one direction, which is just still kind of bizarre to me. Uh, So it's possible. It was the iMac was responding to something that was happening at the switch level and got locked up. Who knows? Right. Uh, I guess I guess I will know uh, over the next several months as whether or not this happens again. I guess that's fascinating. So, but all is well now, right? Same. You didn't replace any hardware, no cables, no nothing. Just uh, power cycle. Essentially, power cycling the transporter was was li- the likely uh, solution mm-hmm. to this. Huh? Yeah. All, all the other wired devices, uh, you know, didn't didn't change anything with them. So. Huh. All right. Hey, we'll take it. Right. It's working. You're on Ethernet so, now, right? Yep. So, you know, that it, it's one of our tried and true uh, ways of fixing a problem is cycle power. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and by cycling power, you're also isolating things off the the network. Right. I mean, it. you know, once you once you unplug it from power, it takes it off the network. And and that's that's a that that is a an excellent way to go about it. Because that's how else are you going to know, you know, unless you've got a switch that's smart and you and I don't have smart switch, or at least I don't have smart switches 
Um, I blow them up too often to, um, to be willing to invest money in smart switches. So, but, uh, but that's how that works. Yeah. Fun, fun. Uh, as Brian Monroe in the chat room at MacGeekab.com slash stream points out, he says cycling power also does clear the ARP cache on, uh, on the switch. So that also can help, uh, depending on what the problem is. So, so there you go. I don't know. I don't know the magic answer, John. We just try things. Bullheaded persistence is, um, is what I say is, is the most valuable tool in my particular troubleshooting uh, toolbox because I'm usually unwilling to give up. Uh, next time it happens, I'll, I'll capture the traffic and yeah. try to do an analysis. It could have been, yeah, as we call it, an ARP, ARP storm, I guess, is, is one of them. Yeah. Now, I, and it know, may not have been the cause, but it was, uh, it was uh, yeah, once I reset it, it cleared the problem. Up. It cleared so, the problem, yeah. So ARP is, and I don't... You know, I, I knew a lot about, I, I researched ARP once. I, I've told the story years ago in the hotel room when, uh, when I had to um, uh, blast somebody off the network because it was doing something bad and causing the router to reset. And I used ARP to do it uh, at the command line on my Mac. But ARP is address resolution protocol. And uh, it's used for the resolution of network layer addresses into link layer addresses. So is that IP addresses into Mac addresses? Yes. I think that's essentially what the message is saying. Okay. If you look at them in Wireshark and all that, you'll see the message, you know, is basically says, you know, who, who has this IP and, and the, the, or at least one, one part of the, the whole message here. And, you know, we've linked to it in the past, but, uh, yeah, it's basically a message saying who who has this, and then the, the device that has it should respond saying, "Yeah, here's my MAC address," and then then that should keep everybody, you know, happy. But if it goes wrong, yeah, and it can also be used for for evil. I, I remember doing this a number of years ago at uh, my last uh, full time gig. You you can actually uh, trick um, redirect people to if if you craft bogus ARP messages, you can actually redirect people to. Uh, to uh, rogue servers. Oh, nice. I guess that's good, right? <laughs> yeah, well, right. That makes sense. The challenge. Sure. the challenge was to try to get, you know, people on the, the uh, we had the white hats and the black hats and, and the, the, the purpose of the black hats was to try to redirect the white hat people to, to our rogue server. Uh, was, right. That was the way that we did it is we just flooded the network with these bogus messages saying, hey, no, go to this server instead. Yeah. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, and, and <clears throat> I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but we already have, but I'm just trying to speculate. I mean, here you and I are, we've had, we've each had devices do this. Um, and, and I guess my question is, is it the device that's, is the device malfunctioning or is it not feeling like it was heard? And so therefore it's saying it over and over again, indicating a problem with something else on the network, like the switch, not reacting properly to the, uh, to the ARP packet from the, uh, from in your case, the transporter, in my case, the iMac. And again, you know, I'm just questioning all of this now because this switch that the iMac was plugged into turned out to be a flaky thing. Uh, whether it was flaky back then or not, I, you know, I mean, I know I'd tested the speed with it before and it had passed data fine, but was there always something with this switch that just finally manifested itself in a different way? I, I don't know. I, it just, you know, you know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to figure out which, uh, 
which piece of hardware is actually misbehaving. So who knows? You want to take us to a couple of, uh, you want to, you want to start us off down our, our cool stuff found path, John, see where we, see where we get here. I will, Dave. All right. So here's a device that I saw at one of the shows I went to recently, and it's just about to come out, and it's one of the cleverest things that I've seen, or there's definitely a need for it. And it's called the eye stick. Eye stick. And you and you may ask yourself, well, what, what is it? No, it's it's not a Apple branded stick. Okay. What it is okay. is it's a USB flash drive and it has two connectors on it. And you were like, well, yeah, big deal. Well, what's so great about that? Here's what's so great about it. One is a USB connector. The other is a lightning connector. So you can see where this is going. Wait. Okay. So what it does is it fills the need of what if you want to get data to or from your iDevice. That's interesting. So, okay. So USB is obvious to me. I plug it into my Mac or whatever, and, and now it's a flash drive, right? And I can read and write data to it. No problem. Right. So that's straightforward. But the, but the part that's a kind of novel is that the lightning connector. So it does the equivalent thing on the iDevice side by having a lightning connector on it as well. But the, but, but, okay. So my question is what happens after I plug it in via lightning? I mean, the, my, does my iPhone doesn't have a, a, a way of reading. It doesn't just automatically say, Hey, here's the directory on this device you plugged in. Right. Unless it's, well, I think what happens is they have software that then will, will let oh. you uh, exchange files with it. Got it. On of your, course. Your iDevice. Of yeah. Course. So, okay. So it's built in, yeah. So of course it's it's built in on uh, you know on on the USB side. Sure, it just shows up as a flash drive. But then, um, huh. yeah, I believe they provide software, or it may just magically appear. Well, Either that or or they provide software, but it won't magically appear yet. Actually, it won't magically appear ever. But the software could be it could be a separate app, and and with iOS seven, it would have to be. But remember, with iOS eight, we get um, plugins for. Uh, additional the, we get the ability for third-party developers to write plugins that impact the what i'll call the open and save dialogues on the uh the file browsing dialogues on on ios so it's possible now i don't know if they're planning on doing this but it's possible they could have written a plugin or could write a plugin that talks to this from any app that's willing to open and, and save files, which could actually be pretty cool. And maybe just maybe that's part of why they're waiting until September because that's when iOS eight is due. Um, I, I don't know. I I'm speculating. I, I, I I'm wild. I've just learned about this just with, uh, with all of our listeners. So I, I I'm, I'm making it up, but it, it, it sounds like it could happen. I don't know. Yeah. And you yeah. can, uh, you can pre-order it. Um, now they say, you know, again, it's going to ship in, uh, September and, uh, pricing can range anywhere. So, so the sizes are anywhere from eight gigs to one twenty eight gigs. And the pricing is anywhere from seventy nine ninety nine to two ninety nine ninety five for the, for the largest one. Okay. So and, not, uh, not cheap. No, but, um, you know, I think it does, it does fill a need for people that need to get data, uh, to and from. Uh, their iDevice, I think, is really the void they're filling. You know, flash drives, obviously, there's plenty of those for uh, <laughs> plenty of those for, for USB equipped machines. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I have this thing, John, and, and I have it, your this reminded me of it. I have not played with it a ton yet, but um, it's from Kingston Technology. It's called the Mobile Light Wireless G2. 
and it is a wireless media reader. Uh, it's a it's a device maybe about the size of the iPhone, right? It's got a USB port on it. It's got an SD card slot on it. Um, it's got um, it, it's got a battery inside it, so it it can do some of the same stuff. Um, but it's wireless, so instead of connecting via Lightning to your iPhone, it connects wirelessly to your iPhone, and you can. Uh, save things to it. You can read things from it. You can stream things from it and you can stream to multiple media device or multiple iOS devices at once, which is interesting. And uh, part of the size of this thing is that it's got a battery in it. Uh, so it, it's uh, it'll charge an iPhone twice with the battery. So my guess is it's about a, a you know, 3000 uh, milliamp hour battery in there. It's also got an ethernet port. Um, it can function as a portable router too. So you plug this in, say in a hotel room, right? And now it creates your wireless network, shares the ethernet connection that's plugged into the ethernet port on this thing. And, uh, and then also becomes your, your storage hub, which is pretty darn cool. So that, which is why I mention it because you know, it, it, that's what we do here. Right. Last I checked. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I got to get a link up for it so I can put it in the uh, in the show notes. But uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. It's the Mobile Light Wireless G two. So uh, we'll put that out there. Interesting stuff. I you know it's it's what we do. And uh, I'm trying to figure out what this thing is going to cost. So if I say to buy it. Yeah, I should have. I should have had that part ready. I actually didn't. I, I just grabbed this thing as I was coming upstairs. So it's, uh, well, the G two. I think it's about seventy bucks, seventy five bucks. But it it has no storage of its own. You're plugging in storage into it, um, either with SD or or USB, which uh, which is interesting. And then it charges via, it charges itself or powers itself depending on how you want to do it uh, via. Uh, micro USB connector. So fascinating stuff. I love it. I, I love all the cool stuff. All right, John. Uh, let's see. What is next? What is next here? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jason, I, I think it was on Twitter recently mentioned this thing called citizen me. It's an app. And what it does uh, is it, the, the idea it's free. It's called, well, Citizen Me Light is, um, and it helps you keep track of your online presence through all the social services that you use and gives you an idea as to what kind of data you're actually sharing. Um, so you can see, uh, and, and they'll notify you if things change, but you can, you can see what you're, what different services are sharing about your privacy. So, uh, so I, I like that stuff. That's always, um, it's good. It's citizenme.com is the, uh, is the website for this. And then obviously the app is available on the, on the store. So we will put that out there too. Personal identity management service, right? Good stuff. Did you check this one out yet, John? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to Greg. Greg says, here's a suggestion for your next cool stuff found episode pop clip 
which is an extension for Google Chrome, or it's an extension that will open links in Google Chrome. Since I don't have Flash installed on my MacBook Air, and I run Safari as my default browser. Every once in a while, though, I need Flash for something, but not enough to use the Safari extension clicks to click to Flash. Instead, whenever I encounter something that I need Flash to see, I simply click the URL or select the URL by clicking in the title bar. And then I click on the Chrome icon in the pop clip menu that appears. That triggers Chrome to open the specific page so that I can use Chrome's baked-in Flash player to do its work. And that is something to remember. Uh, if you don't want to have Flash enabled in Safari, you, don't, you do not have to have the plugin installed at all. Chrome has Flash baked into Chrome. So, uh, and this is Google Chrome, the, the, the browser. And, and so this, uh, this pop clip will let you uh, do all kinds of things. And, and one of them is that you can have it open. Uh, it's an extension. Uh, actually pop clip is an extension kind of manager thing. And then they have an extension that will open links in Google Chrome. So good stuff. We'll put that out there. He says, I also have one more suggestion for you. One that writing this email brought to mind. I use Postbox as my default email client. Having been built on Mozilla's Thunderbird, it supports add-ons. And I discovered a great one about a year ago. It's called Markdown here. And it allows me to compose my emails using Markdown chiefly for things like links and then press a hotkey to format my message properly. It's apparently capable of a lot more than I'm using it for, but it's free and it's great at what it does. Yeah. Markdown's an interesting language uh, written by John Gruber. It, uh, it allows, or, or yeah, I guess it was written. Um, it allows you to format things using plain text, uh, but, but embed links. It's kind of like uh, a, a simpler version of HTML and, uh, makes sense for for writing things like blog posts or or emails if you have a, an interpreter for it so it's good stuff what else do we have john you want to take one um take the next two if you want no well you know let, let me well, i'll throw out a quick one here yeah, go. because it's something that just came out and it's something that we talked about in the past but i, I thought i'd bring it up just to give you a little update here sure uh, Dave, uh, you remember we talked about heos um you know, yeah. something that I saw um, a little while ago, um, one of the, one of the shows here, uh, and it's basically Denon's uh, entry into the uh, wireless speaker um, music system market. Yep, similar to Sonos and those guys. And the only thing that was th that made me kind of sad, or made a lot of people sad, is that the initial uh, release, although it would let you stream uh, from you know Pandora and TuneIn and and other services. Uh, it didn't let you, uh, even though it, you know, it said it in the, in the specs, it's like, oh, you can access stuff on your network as well, because that's how, you know, a lot of us uh, store our music is on a network drive or sure. a network resource. Um, and then I looked in their spec and they said, oh, um, August 1st, um, we're going to release DLNA support. Okay. So I'm like, oh, well, let me check out DLNA because I, I don't have that enabled right now. And what I did was actually, uh, took my music library, copied it from my, uh, um, I have it on my mini, so I copied it over to the Synology and then installed their, I believe it's called Media Station, which is basically Synology's DLNA server. And that makes that content available to anybody who's willing to listen to DLNA. And then just uh, yesterday, uh, so they actually released it a day early. So uh, on July 31st, uh, a day early, they actually released an update. It, up it had to update both the software in the speaker. 
So as soon as I ran the app, it's like up and updates available. And then, you know, ran that and I saw the lights flashing on the speaker because it was updating the firmware in there. And then it updated the iOS app as well. And all of a sudden, um, when I clicked on the uh, local music category in their app, whereas before nothing appeared there, all of a sudden what appeared was JB Distation. Oh, nice. And then I clicked on that and then it showed the uh, individual folders, you know, video, uh, you know, typically I think DLNA categorizes things as, you know, photos, uh, music and video. And I have all three of those. And uh, then I clicked on the music and then the interface, uh, the, the way they parse it was just uh, as with any other service. Um, you know, I could sort by uh, by album, by artist, by album slash artist, things like that. Yep. Uh, totally seamless. So they, they did a, a fine job of that. Um, I know you had your reservations and I guess a DLNA is probably, you know, not the Mac friendliest way to do this sort of thing. It's not uh, the human friendliest way to do it would be my, yeah, because there's nothing actually, about this that requires is, a Mac. Right. My understanding is that windows has DLNA support, uh, kind of baked in, but Mac does not. So, so for Mac people, you have to take an extra step to set up a DLNA server. But, uh, but once you do that, it's a, you know, it's a very pleasant experience. So, uh, so hats off to them that they, they, pulled this off just uh you know again it was sad that it wasn't with the initial release but uh yeah no that's good i I got a chance um i played a little bit with the bose oh i always forget with the sound touch uh music system actually while we lisa and i were were traveling i there was a bose store in the mall in columbia maryland so i spent a little time uh learning a little bit more about the bose sound touch which is in this in sort of in this same wireless hi-fi realm you know it competes with sonos ish but does some different things and uh one thing i i like about the the bose certainly as a sonos user that i really like about the bose is uh two things number one it's got a uh it's got a little uh display on the front of it on of each speaker that shows you what's being played on that speaker which is sort of handy. Actually, it's more than sort of handy. It's it's really handy uh, because a lot of times, you know, you'll have a song playing or, a, you know, a playlist playing like what song is this? And then you got to open up your iPhone and, and go and look, uh, which is, you know, again, first world problem. If, if that's if that's your biggest uh, concern of the day, but it is handy to have it right there. The other thing that it has, which is even more important, is it's got six what I'll call soft buttons uh, on on the unit and they can be programmed. So if you have a playlist that you like to play or a Pandora station that you like to play, uh, you can assign that playlist or station to one of the soft buttons and the soft buttons can be different for each unit, or you can have them all be the same. So, you know, the button number two in my bedroom could be different than button number two in my daughter's bedroom. And it makes it really easy again, just to go up and, and tap the thing and start playing uh, whatever it is that you want to play as, as opposed to again, opening up your, your iPhone and, and all that. They don't have, uh, it seems like they just have a Pandora, uh, tune in and your music library, nothing else. So they don't have beats. They don't have Spotify. They don't have any of that stuff, uh, which I think they hopefully they're working on. Um, if they're not, then they're fools frankly, because that's a pretty obvious thing, but, uh, but you know, it's cool. I, I'm glad to see this market developing, you know, for a long time and I'm a huge Sonos fan. Uh, but for a long time, Sonos was the only game in town. And, uh, in, in many ways they kind of, well, there's certainly the market leader at the moment. 
but but this is good. Competition is good, you know. And and both of these, the, your Heos by by Denon John and and the the Bose, uh, do something that Sonos doesn't, which is they connect to your home's wireless network, so you're not running a second wireless network as you are for for Sonos, which in a congest in a in an area of congested Wi-Fi that can actually make a difference. So. So that's yeah. yeah. And it was a, yeah, I think I told you it was very, you know, it was kind of a novel setup is that mm-hmm. I actually had to plug the speaker into my iPhone. So it, right. could, it could suck out the Wi-Fi configuration data. And then now when I look at um, my airport with the airport utility, it just shows an additional device called living room. Cause that's what I called it. That's what you that's called it, it sure. is right now. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So the, the, so that setup was, yeah, it was easy, but but it was you know it was kind of weird at first. I'm like, why am I plugging a cable? Why am I plugging an audio cable into my phone? Right, right, right. <laughs> then it occurred to me. So, uh, yeah, but it's good to have multiple players here. And, yeah, uh, it is, and I can't wait. You know, it's funny. Uh, Mac Vader in the chat room just said this too. I, I'm a big fan of what the folks at you know JBL slash Harmon uh, do, and I'm surprised they haven't entered this market yet. But uh, but not entirely surprised. They they tend to to wait until they've got something that they're really, really uh, proud of to, to roll it out as opposed to what Denon and, and Bose are doing, which is, you know, sort of this stuttered rollout of, well, we're going to get it out there, but it doesn't have all the features we want, but you know, we'll, we'll add them in software later kind of thing. Um, so I'm hope I, I don't know that JBL and uh, uh, slash Harmon is working on anything, but uh, I certainly hope that they are. So, well then Dave, you know, I think I'm going to go off script here. Yeah, as if we're not already. Don't, Go ahead. Don't be, don't be afraid. <laughs> but I think, but it applies because we're talking about the music products now. Mm-hmm. And I saw another one at one of the recent shows that I went to. And I think this yeah. is um, the goal with these guys is to give you the lowest cost solution possible. Not okay. necessarily the most feature filled. Sure. But it looks very basic, but it, it is also a Wi-Fi music streaming solution. And it's called Rocky, R-O-C-K-I at myrocky.com. Right. And uh, I think the draw with this as compared to some of the other solutions. So, um, you know, so it's a small device. Yeah. You plug your speaker into it and, uh, and it's Wi-Fi. So it doesn't, as comparison, the other ones are all speakers themselves with the exception of like the Sonos connect play. But, but for the most part, they come with, with their own speakers. This is not a speaker. It's just the, the bridge, if you will. Right. Correct. So it's basically, uh, yeah, so it's basically a, a small radio where you plug your speaker uh, into it. Interesting. And but, but, uh, the, but the their deal, and so here's the deal with them. So number one, you get to provide your own speaker, which you know could be a good thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you want to pay for another speaker, as you pointed out, the other ones. I mean, uh, you know, for example, the pricing of the uh, uh, Dena. Uh, 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 the Heos, I think, starts in the the, the basic unit. I think starts. I, I I don't know if it's two forty nine or, or or more, but you pay for the speaker. It's a good speaker. It's sure. a really nice speaker. Um, you know, it sounds great. But uh, if you already have, if you want to provide, you, you know, provide your own. The 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 selling point I think of the Rocky is that the Rocky is forty nine bucks. Okay, I, I'm curious about this Rocky. Is it Bluetooth or is it Wi Fi? No, it's Wi Fi. Okay, and am I? With all the rest of these, for the most part, their, their design is that when I'm using my iPhone with it, 
My iPhone is nothing more than the remote control. The, the actual streaming and everything else is actually handled by the, the Sonos or the Denon or the Bose. And I could turn off my iPhone and music would still remain playing because the, the device is communicating with whatever source of, of the, whatever the source of the music is. Uh, is that the case with the Rocky as well? Is it just a remote control or is it more like it, the, a, a piece at your phone? Is your phone the conduit or is your phone the remote control with it? Uh, appears to me that it's, it's the control. Okay. So it really is. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly seems like that. Huh. I'm trying to look here and I'm trying to figure where the music is. If you're streaming, uh, I see that it also has a USB port on it. So I'm wondering if that's how you, uh, is that power? Uh, or it could be how you, how you, uh, access your music. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious it, how, how that works because if it's, if you're just streaming music from your phone to it, it, it sort of reminds me of a, a product that's even cheaper um, and perhaps it's entirely different, but, uh, that I use all the time, which is called the smart bean from Antec. And, uh, and that is a, um, uh, it's a, it's a Bluetooth receiver, but you can plug anything you want into it. It's got a, a headphone jack. So it, it, you could plug headphones into it, which I do while I'm mowing the lawn, uh, instead of running a headphone cable all the way down to my pocket and like messing around with it, I clip this little smart bean on the back of my shirt and uh, and then I can stream. It's just streaming from my phone to the, the bean and then into whatever headphones I choose to use. So it, it you know, turns anything into a, a wireless speaker, if you will. But um, but that may be different from the Rocky or it, it might be in the same realm. I, that, that's that's the question. So, OK. And the answer here. So I found in their FAQ. So what does Rocky stream music to my speakers? Yes. Using Wi-Fi, the music is streamed from local storage or any supported network cloud based music collection from your smartphone to the Rocky device. Okay, so your your phone is the conduit with the Rocky. Right. It sounds like, unlike some of the other solutions here, is that, yeah, if you have your, your music source on your local network, um, that, that that's one way to do it in addition, you know, to the streaming services that... Uh, well, yeah, but but the, what, you, what you just read me said, regardless of the source, the phone is talking to the source and to the Rocky. The Rocky mm-hmm. doesn't talk directly to the source, whatever that source is. Uh, read, read me the FAQ again because that last bit of it sounded like that uh, does Rocky stream music to my speakers and the answer is yes using Wi-Fi the music is streamed from local storage or any supported network slash cloud based music collection from your smartphone to the Rocky device from your smartphone to the Rocky device That's what they say. Simply yeah. Connect your Rocky to your speakers and bam, there's your music is what they say. Yeah. Huh. And then do I need an internet connection to listen to music? Only if you want to stream your internet radio or cloud sure. music, music available on local devices, such as your smartphone, PC or network storage can be played as long as you have a Wi-Fi enabled network. Huh. All right. That's not entirely clear. All right. We'll ask him. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. 50 but bucks. The, yeah. 
Yep. And then, and then they have a, 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 then they also make mention of a plus product, which uh, maybe offers more features here, but you know, for people to want to stream their music and have their own speaker, I mean, 49 bucks, dude. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it comes in lots of pretty colors too. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> well, yeah. What's nice about that is, is there's plenty of wireless speakers out there. Um, and again, I, we're not entirely sure if this is streaming direct or, or not, but there's plenty of wireless speakers that you can stream to direct from your iPhone, either AirPlay speakers or, or more commonly Bluetooth speakers. Um, it, the, uh, the issue with those is, of course, you're trapped into whatever quality speaker the manufacturer of the, the device has chosen to put into it. Uh, and whatever you've chosen to buy, whereas with something like this or with the, the, the smart bean from, from Antec, you just, you know, you, you provide your own speaker and therefore can upgrade your speaker at any point in time that you like, which is cool. So I like that, you know, all right. Uh, let's talk about our first sponsor for this show, which is, as I said, smile at smilesoftware.com and, uh, it's PDF pen for the iPad this time around that we get to talk about. Now, PDF pen is an app. It's actually not just available for your iPad. Uh, it's available for the iPhone. It's also available for your Mac. PDF pen is an app that lets you manipulate PDFs in so many different ways. Uh, it, 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 it's actually quite amazing what it can do um, and how it, how it does it. it. Yeah. You can take a PDF and rearrange the pages. That's easy. Uh, it didn't always used to be easy, but they've made it easy. You can also uh, create a, a PDF from another document. You can uh, mark up this PDF. You can add little notes to it. Like if you're, if you're reading a PDF that you got from someone, you can add little notes to it. Or if it's a contract, you can actually add your signature to the PDF right there on your iPad. Uh, which is pretty cool. You can, and it, it has a little signature builder thing. You, you take a picture of you, your signature on, on white paper, and then it will fade out the background for you so that it becomes a transparent signature. So that when you paste your signature onto a document, you don't have like this big white square with your signature in it. It, it just pastes the, the inked part of your signature over it. So it, it looks like it would if you had, say, say, gone below the line or above, you know, into the text or whatever. Uh, your signature is, is there as if it were inked, which is very cool. Uh, it's got that. It also allows you to edit the text inside of a PDF, which is really, really awesome. You can copy the text out of it, uh, but you can also edit the text right there. So if somebody sends you a PDF and it's got an error, you can fix it and, uh, and, then, and then send it back or, or do whatever you need to do with it. PDF pen for iPad now supports Bluetooth styluses or is that styly styli styluses? I don't know, but uh, the jot touch, the pogo connect, the Jaja stylus, or is that the ha ha stylus? I don't know. J A J A. I'm not sure how they choose to pronounce that. I will choose to pronounce it Jaja and the, uh, the Wacom stylus, which is brand new supported in PDF pen for iPad 1.8. Uh, they've also worked on some memory issues with PDF pen for iPad 1.8, which, which is something that's important, uh, especially, uh, you know, on iOS apps have so little Ram to, to use. And when you're loading a big PDF in or doing things with the PDF, it can actually cause it to hit Ram, uh, Ram limits sometimes. And they've, they've really worked on that. 
You can sync files via iCloud or with Dropbox, and you can save and retrieve PDFs from Dropbox, Evernote, Google Drive, Box, Alfresco, Transporter, WebDAV, FTP, and of course, plugged in uh, or USB, uh, sorry, or Wi-Fi with iTunes. So you got to check this out. Uh, PDF pen for iPad smilesoftware.com is a place where you can go and learn about it. Of course, uh, when you're ready to buy it and put it on your iPad, the app store is the place to do that, but you can get PDF pen for your Mac. Uh, you can get a demo trial version from them at smilesoftware.com If you just want to kind of feel out how it works, get hooked on it and then go and buy it, uh, both on your Mac and on your iPad PDF pen for iPad from smilesoftware.com. They're great folks there. I'd like to thank them for uh, sponsoring us. They were our very first sponsor uh, of Mac Geek Ab. Low those many years ago and have never stopped. Um, they, they are, uh, they've, they've been supporters of the show all the way through. Great folks. Really love them. And I, I love the software too. They make text expander as well. I know that that's not on the list for us to talk about today, but if you're not using text expander, you are, you are living in a world of hurt and there's no excuse for it. Go get text expander for your Mac. Just get a demo copy of it. Go, you know, go to smilesoftware.com. You can get a trial version and, uh, and start plugging stuff into it. I, I, I guarantee you won't be able to live without it. I can't, I don't know, John, you haven't even tried it yet. I, I, I can't believe that they've been sponsoring the show for nine years and, and you have yet to, uh, to drink the text expander Kool-Aid. It is my mission by the end of August to uh, to have you not only try it but hooked on it. So, okay, okay. It's good to have goals in life. It, it is. I know. I, I try to. You know. I, I like difficult goals. So, <laughs> well, there we are. All right. Uh, let's see if we can power through some of these things. Uh, so we have a couple of uh, cool things found. Uh, he says, uh, Devin says this may be old news to many, but I thought I would give a quick endorsement of the Wemo by Belkin. I live in a small apartment and have a window mounted AC that keeps me alive during the summer. I have an irregular work schedule and sometimes I'm at the office. Sometimes I'm at home. I had a manual timer installed in the outlet for the AC, but my schedule was always changing and rarely kept with the schedule I programmed. So I didn't use it. Uh, I was looking for alternatives online and found Belkin's Wemo W E M O product plugs into any outlet and after setup allows you to turn any device connected to that outlet on and off through a mobile app on your smartphone from wherever you are. The uses are pretty endless. I'm sure the home kit features soon to come from Apple will provide similar functions, but for those who want to get started now, this is a great option. The Wemo is about 50 bucks and the app is free. I'm easily going to make the 50 bucks back this summer with savings on the AC. So it is well worth it. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Devin. That's, um, that's good. That's, uh, have you checked out the Wemo, John? I, I know you're, 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 you've, you've dabbled in some of that stuff. So. No, I think our friend, uh, Katie actually is using that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And I think I, they, and I think they actually had a little, uh, little security scare a while ago, which, uh, they, hmm. they then, uh, fixed. Okay. Well that, that's security. good quickly fixed. Well, I guess there was potential at one point for people to, you know, come in and control your home without your knowledge, which, uh, you know, could be bad. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> listen, if they want to turn on my AC, you know, uh, right before I get home, I don't mind that at all. If I've got some stalker that's, you know, sitting uh, a mile from my house and sees me and says, Oh, Dave's almost home. 
better turn on his AC. That's not bad, right? Or is that bad? That's bad, isn't it? That's Let's bad. Let's see. Um, That's creepy. Yeah, it was back in February. I see an issue in Lifehacker. Belkin fixes Wemo security issues. So right. there was an issue. They fixed it, I think, in a timely fashion. So, sure, uh, sure. So make sure you update your Wemo software. Okay, yeah. We're going to shut your house down. <laughs> <laughs> or turn it on. Or, know, or turn it on. That's morning. right. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, you know, it doesn't have to be used for, uh, for nefarious purposes. So. Yeah, worth the fun. And, yeah. Um, what do you got? In that vein, Dave. Yeah. Uh, well, another one that, that kind of falls into this and, uh, you know, I haven't tried it, but I saw it and, you know, they, they, they explained it to me. And I think it's kind of clever. Um, and, and it seems to be a pretty good value, but, uh, along the lines of, uh, so it's not so much home control, but it's home monitoring. Okay. And it's called a Wally home. And what is it? It is a, uh, monitoring system. So again, it's not control, but it's monitoring, which uh, you may certainly find useful. So what you get, so for two ninety nine, so their basic package is two ninety nine. you get a base and you get six sensors and they are temperature slash water slash humidity sensors all right yeah and then of course there's an app and it uses this thing which hey you know i just like the name of it it's called snoopy no not snoopy like the dog but um snoopy it's a protocol s-n-u-p-i what is this uh (laughs) very good thanks wow you're you're quick on the uh on the switch there. I couldn't help it. <laughs> Sorry. Go, go ahead. Wow, that was very good. <laughs> and I'm trying to think it's a simple, but basically it's a power line uh, uh, technology. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Is what Snoopy is. Yeah. But so, so what it is, it's a, it's a system that basically monitors the temperature or water, you know, if you're in, in an environment that's prone to flooding or something like that, or humidity. And if things get out of whack, then you'll get a notification. Okay. And it, I, I guess the the one thing that has me a little concerned is if it's power line, it's plugged into power and it's a moisture sensor. So I'm a little worried about that. Right. Do I, do I need to be worried about that? Uh, you, get, you get what I'm worried about here? Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Right, oh no! See, I don't think or- the sensors are powered. I don't. I, I think just the uh, the little hub is powered, but I don't think the six sensors are plugged into the wall, or are they? It's hard to tell. You know, they they build this website that makes it look all clean and 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 foofy, but how does this stuff talk to each other? Let's see here. Uh, yeah, you know, does it mean I need to have a power outlet near my uh, near my sink? Because, you know, that gets a little dicey and power line probably doesn't work over GFCI or maybe it does. I don't know. I haven't tried it, but it, it uh, I don't know. These are, these are the questions I have. This is this is how I, I roll here. I'm, I, I'm sorry to uh, to ask questions that. That you don't have the answer to. I know you're just bringing this stuff in like I do. So actually, I believe the sensors are actually battery powered. That would make more sense because you might want them in a spot where it's not convenient to plug it into the wall, too. Yeah, so, so I think the base itself uses power line technology to okay. uh, communicate over the internets and stuff. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. Yeah, Wally. I've seen all this home automation stuff, and then the, there was something else which, yeah, I'll have to get more info on it, but it was um, 
But, you know, we're seeing more and more of this, you know, what I guess, you know, similar to Wemo, but, you know, the smart home stuff. I did see yeah. one company and I'll have to get more info, but it was a, a device to basically uh, control your air conditioner and let you uh, remotely deal with that. Because, you know, for most. Homes, that's what we just talked about, right? Yeah. And for most homes, that's the, you know. <laughs> yeah. That consumes the most juice. Sure. One of the things that consumes lots of juice. Yep. All right. So uh, Douglas says, I wanted to let you know about a cool tool I found teleport by Abby soft. I use two Macs on my desk and it's a hassle to move between two keyboards and mice teleport. will let me use the same keyboard and mouse for both computers or even more than two computers. I simply drag the cursor to the edge of one screen and it magically appears on the screen of my other Mac. And when the cursor is on the other screen, the keyboard is also switched to the other Mac. Uh, you can drag files from one computer to the other, as well as sync clipboards. Of course, not everyone has two computers sitting on their desk, but some people may use their MacBook alongside their desktop. This is an excellent tool for that scenario, and it's free. Actually, it's donationware, and if anyone continues to use it, I highly recommend making even a small donation. It's been around for a few years and was developed by a former developer for Apple. So, uh, yeah. Abby soft or abyss soft. I'm not, I think it's abyss soft. Yeah. With one B. Uh, we'll put that link in the show notes cause it's how we roll. But, uh, yeah. Teleport. That, I, that's pretty cool. I like that. That's what we do here. All right. Uh, let's see. John, not you, John, but listener, John has, uh, I heard you mention Fastmail FM on the last show. I see one nice thing about Fastmail FM is a privacy uh, uh, about Fastmail FM privacy wise is it passes the email leak test, whether it hides your IP address or not. And uh, and there's a, a website that actually it's pretty cool. It's called, it's at email IP leak. And uh, what you do is you go to this website and it tells you what your IP is. Uh, because it can get that when you visit the website and then you hit the start button and it gives you an email address that is only valid for a little while. And you send an email to this address and it combs through the email, all the headers, everything and sees if the email that you've sent contains the IP address that it knows you're sending it from, because that's what your web browser says. And, uh, and, and that's interesting. It, uh, evidently Fastmail, even on their web interface, if you're sending through mail.app, you're almost certainly going to be baking your IP into your email, unless your email service is scrubbing it out. Uh, but when you send through a webmail interface, in theory, you don't have to have your uh, IP in the headers of the email, but Gmail puts it in there. I didn't think Gmail would, but it does. Uh, Gmail tells the, the recipient what the IP of the sender was, regardless of, of how you got there. But uh, but Fastmail doesn't. So, yeah, email IP dot com is where that goes. Pretty cool stuff, huh, John? Wow. I know. I didn't know that. I know. That's that's why we do this. No, we do. Yeah. So, um. You know, I, I got a, I got a, a thing just before we, we started our travels here uh, it, from the escort company, the radar detector company. And, uh, and I got to be honest, I really, uh, I, I don't, I certainly don't intentionally speed um, much, but, uh, <laughs> well, no, nah, I mean, but what, what can happen often is, you know, especially if you're on back roads or, or country roads, the speed limit changes or oftentimes you don't even know what the speed limit is, you know, because you, you turn onto the road and the sign's not right there or whatever. And you, you're sort of clueless. Um, 
So escort um, has this thing. Now they have the, uh, the passport max, which is their current top of the line radar detector. And it texts for everything. Uh, But you know, one of the things about radar detectors is uh, a, they can only tell you what they see. So if, if the radar is not on, it can't tell you about it. Uh, And B uh, they, they aren't, um, they, they don't, they, they aren't overly helpful unless you know what the speed limit actually is. And so uh, this, the, what, what escort has done is they have something called the smart cord, which pairs with their escort live service. And so the smart cord turns the radar detector into a Bluetooth accessible device. And then you launch an app on your iPhone and the iPhone app logs into escorts website and tells the radar detector what the speed limit is in your local area. And then you can set it, you know, in your, in, in your exact area, it uses GPS. The the radar detector has it. Your phone has GPS. Um, And what's cool is the radar detector also knows how fast you're going. And so I've got mindset to warn me if I'm going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit and it's super handy. Driving all didn't doing all these drives. You know, we when we were coming back, we we went down to Maryland and then across to uh, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, and and then drove back up. And I chose to drive back up through the the Virginia coast, which meant we were not on uh, typical standard highways. We were on you know kind of um, they were they were four lane roads. There were two lanes on each side, and there were a bunch of tobacco farms and cornfields and and all that stuff. But uh, we drove up there and then through through Delaware. And then headed in because I didn't want to take the ferry. I, I figured it was a safer bet to scooch past uh, Philadelphia before traffic got crazy on Thursday. But, um, but you know, for that first stretch, for several hours, we were on these back roads and the speed limit's constantly changing. And that's where you get into trouble, right? You know, the speed limit might be whatever, 55, 60 on one of these roads, maybe even 65, yeah, even though it's a because it, it's just a back road and you're driving through tobacco fields and it's straight. And so they, they loosen things up. They probably don't even patrol it much. But then you get into these little, you know, towns and hamlets where they make a ton of money off of people that are, you know, very accustomed to going 65 miles an hour. And now the speed limit in the town is 40. So 40 feels like you're crawling and you don't notice it. And then suddenly you're doing 55 in this town and they've got you going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. Well, that's where this thing totally came in handy because you'd get into a little town and it would know that the speed limit changed and know that you were now going 10 miles an hour over if you didn't catch it. And boom, uh, you know, it, it immediately sends up an alert and says, Hey, you're, you know, you're going too fast and, uh, and then you can slow down. So super handy stuff. I'll put the, uh, the link to the escort live thing. I, I think it works with more than just the, the passport max, uh, it works with some of their other detectors too. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very cool. It's very cool. Yeah, actually. And, and the, the one part that sucked is that radar detectors are illegal in two places in the U S Washington, DC and Virginia. So we, you know, we were, we were desperate to get to the Maryland border where we could plug this thing back in. I chose not to plug in my radar detector. I I did think about uh, plugging it in, but turning off all of the radar functions and just using it as kind of the speed limit warning. But, uh, but they have radar detector detectors that I know that, uh, the authorities in Virginia use. And I, I wasn't entirely sure that I'd be able to turn off enough of it to not be detectable. And I didn't want to have, uh, you know, that conversation with a Virginia uh, state police officer, uh, 
you know, going through the whole process of, well, it's, yes, it looks like a radar detector, but the see here, officer, the features are all turned off that, that you don't allow in this state, which I believe to be unconstitutional, I think, but I didn't research it enough. And, and again, that's not the appropriate oh. place to have that conversation. No. Well, it, it's their job to enforce the law, not, not necessarily interpret it. That's Correct. Someone else gets to do that. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, exa- exactly. Right. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that's you know we we get to I've, listen you know, to actually, the radio. I've been, you know the thing is I I had an escort years ago, just your basic one, and eventually I got rid of it because one it you know at least in my eyes is that if you get pulled over with one of those you're you're it's almost an admission that you're you're a bad person, right? <laughs> okay, I mean I don't see it that way. You just heard my explanation, but go or, ahead. Or I would say unless you hide it, and then then you get the the cop nervous because he sees sure. you fidgeting yes. in the car. But, sure, but if you have it visible, even though yes, it's your constitutional right, and in, in my humble opinion, to have one, it automatically stacks the deck against you. Sure, yeah, I agree I with that. Say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got rid of it long ago, but what I, what I really like Dave, and uh, I think a lot of our listeners uh, who have iOS or actually Android devices, uh, I like, I find ways a very good tool. If you, if you're in an area that has enough people using it yeah, and you can see the cop, uh, I've, I've had, yeah, whenever I go on a long drive, I, I'm always running ways to, to just learn what's happening, whether it be traffic or law enforcement or just, I have, yeah. I tried ways several times. It, 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 um, I, I found the information that I get from it uh, mostly stale and worthless. Uh, hmm. now, now, maybe I'm not driving in areas where enough people are using it, but I mean, there were clearly a lot of people using ways. I think it could be because I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm typically on 95, which is, you know, that there, it, it tells me whenever I run it, it's, it's always telling me that there's, you know, at least a couple of thousand other users in the area. So, uh, I find so yeah, just I find be, Apple you're in the sticks there. Apple. You know? Well, no, I mean, I, I'm talking about driving down 95, <laughs> the corridor between, you know, New York and 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 Philly there. Yeah, it, it again, there was lots of data, but none of it was helpful. It was it was very congested, the amount of data that I was getting. And really, you know, the thing about cops and stuff and who's where that was useless. The traffic data was fine, but there was so much like. It, why did it has to show me every report about traffic? I don't understand. Why not just uh, coalesce them all together and say there's traffic here instead of popping up all these little bubbles all well, over the map. I found Apple's maps and Google maps uh, far better for the quick well, look of what well, you may want to tune it. Also, the, I, I found initially ways would have like road goodies and like all this uh, to me unimportant. Yeah, I stuff. turned all that off. It still was too congested. It, it's just too much information. It's like it's like an ADD fest, which I totally don't need while I'm driving. I like the concept, but they they've got to fix that. Like I said, Google Maps and, uh, and Apple Maps were very helpful in giving me at a glance what's traffic like on you know the stretch of road that we're about to head into or where where else we want to go. And of course, that stuff is all happening automatically in the background on either Android or or iOS phones and, and also augmented by yeah. traffic cameras and all that other stuff. So. And, uh, and the other thing I remember, so, so actually our, our buddy, uh, uh, who I haven't seen in a while. Hi, Kenny, but, uh, Kenny drives in New Jersey and he says that at least in New Jersey, it's a, it gives very good information. It was New Jersey where I hated it the most, to be honest, because that's where we, that's where we were well, trying you know, to the use other it. The thing is maybe because I don't fixate on it. I only listen for it to tell me when it thinks there's something I need to know. Mm-hmm. Like, 
get off on this exit or there's something up ahead, you know, whether it be a hazard or something. Actually, yeah. what I did find ridiculous when you and I were out in uh, uh, California. Yeah. And we were, and, and I used it on the highway there when we were going to the mothership. Yeah. And now this one, I have to shake, uh, you know, wag my finger at them. It was like rain reported ahead. It's like, do people in California not understand how to drive in rain? But dude, I mean, there's less rain out. Ridic- there's a, me, le- was just a lot a less rain out alert. there. It's like, well, you know, I can probably figure out on my own that there's rain up ahead. <laughs> yeah, but that's a good warning, man. When, and when you're in an area, I mean, you where you live and where I live, it rains all the time. Uh, out there, it does not. And and so it requires, you know, a different awareness of the road. I, I think I, I think that oh, was actually right. a smart. That, that was one of the things that that I thought was good about it. I was like, oh, it's reminding the uh, the natives here that that rain is. Um, no, I guess maybe they don't. Okay. Yeah, no, right. they don't. Actually, our, yeah. our friend Brian in the chat room confirms that. that yeah. People in California don't know how to well, drive in the rain. Okay. Well, it's it's just <laughs> not something, it's just not something they, they it, it's not there all the time. And so, you know, you get that thing where the, the oil comes up off the road and, and all of that, you know, so, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's right. just too much info. And then my all final right. fond memory, uh, and then we'll move on here, but, but I still remember when I used to have a, and I don't have it anymore. Uh, again, I don't really have any detection devices, but the one thing I always found very exciting to listen to Dave was, uh, the, uh, speed, uh, planes. Yeah. Um, and I did that for a while. I would have it in the car and you would hear that there were certain frequencies the state police use and you would hear the guy basically describing, the identity of the vehicle that the state cop sitting on the ramp would then launch onto the highway and pull over. And the sure. guy basically did two timings. And if you were over the speed limit for two timings, you then all of a sudden magically had a cop behind you. And there's no way to get around that. Sure. <laughs> Unless yeah. you had a scanner and you knew that they were running uh, air enforcement. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anand says, uh, since Flickr has gone free and offers up seriously large storage capacity, I've been looking at ways of trying to bulk upload safely and in the background. There are so many upload options, but most have fallen short for different reasons. I have 95,000 photos that I want to share with immediate family so they have access to all the family archive. This is a major project. I've tried the in-house uploaders, but didn't get on with them and found that once you hit over 200 or so picks to upload, the programs start to creak under the pressure. So I am happy to report that I have found an option called Pickbackman at pickbackman.com. It's a free download, and once you register, again for free, you can back up to a huge array of online services, Flickr, Picasa, SmugMug, Facebook, etc. There are monthly caps, but for a reasonable $2.95 a month, you can join the premium service where you get unlimited uploads and things like migration features between the online services, which I think is genius. I've just started my backup using a headless Mac mini whirring away and I get through about 1500 picks a day rock solid so far. And that was, uh, as of a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, pick back man. So we'll put that in the show notes too, because that's how we roll pick back, man. I like it. I like these funny names. It's good. I mean, Flickr's a funny name too, but you know, pick back, man. Tell me what it is. There it is. Perfect. All right. And Damien, this is, I, lo- I love this kind of stuff. Uh, Damien says, for anyone looking to play or convert those noises of your from Max System 7, there is a, uh, an extension called System Sound, and it's at systemsoundext.sourceforge.net. And uh, it'll play sound files just like an OS X classic. So there you go. We'll put that out there too. Fun stuff. I love it. Oh, what else do we have here? Oh, Andrew. Yeah, I like this. Um, 
you know, we talked about Thunderbolt docks and they're, they're not overly cheap. Um, they're not horribly expensive. They're a couple, they're 200 bucks. Uh, he says, but, uh, but Andrew found something even cooler. He says, uh, here's a cool stuff found, especially for us. 2011 Mac users. Where are the uh, redheaded stepchildren, he says, of the Mac world that got Thunderbolt ports, but no USB 3 ports. So if we want faster storage, we can either buy a Thunderbolt drive, generally at a 200% price premium, and throughput is bottlenecked by the speed of the hard drive anyway, or get into a RAID 0 solution with its drawbacks, or one of the $200 docks. Some of us just want USB 3. Personally, I have a handful of USB 3 drives that I can only use at USB 2 speeds. While they all don't need to have the faster data transfer, Time Machine, for example, work drives or video storage drives would certainly take advantage of a faster bus. Finally, last month, that changed when Kanex, K-A-N-E-X, introduced the Thunderbolt to eSATA and USB 3 adapter. Granted, it's a little more than uh, it's a little more expensive than I had hoped, but it's 80 bucks. And with a Thunderbolt port in it, that's actually not that bad. Uh, But for a limited demand item, I suppose it's not surprising. And uh, they have so they have the eSATA and USB 3 dongle and it's a Thunderbolt dongle. Uh, It's got its own Thunderbolt cable built in. So you don't need anything else. It's it's literally a dongle and it's got a, a USB 3 port and an eSATA port. And then they've also got, which I think is even better, a Thunderbolt to gigabit Ethernet and USB three uh, adapter. I think the latter is not quite out yet. The the one with gigabit Ethernet and USB three, the one with eSATA and USB three is out. But um, but I think they're they're both about eighty bucks, which uh, which is awesome. I would love to have one of these in my bag with my with my MacBook Air because I'd get gigabit Ethernet and one USB three port, which is all I'd ever need. You know, traveling around. Uh, and for 80 bucks, that's a, that's a good deal. I like it. Do you, do you have Thunderbolt ports on your, on your Mac mini John or a Thunderbolt port? No. Okay. My mine is the 2011 and actually rumor has it that the mini may get a refresh cause it's kind of long in the tooth. So yeah. Yeah. Currently I do not have any devices and, uh, yeah, I know. I promised I'd, I'd upgrade, and I'm still considering it this year because they they just rolled out a new uh, uh, MacBook Pro, right? Right, right, right. All right, so, uh, but yeah, at this point, I I no. <laughs> All right, so we have uh, about another two hours worth of cool stuff found here, and probably another fifteen minutes left. So uh, we're going to move quickly here, John. You want to talk quickly about the next one on the list, and then we'll just we'll bang through a bunch of these here and and then call yeah. it a day. All right, go. Or I'll bang out two that I found here. I'll, I'll bang out the last two that I have here. Well, you do quick. one, and we'll come back around right. for the other one. Yeah. All right. So for people that are excited about 3D printing, um, this is the lowest cost option that I've seen seen so far. And uh, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, you know, it was funded by Indiegogo, and it, it should be out by the end of the year. But um, it's from New Matter, and it's the New Matter Mod-T 3D printer. Uh, and it looks like right now the pricing of it is going to be not $1,000, not $500. But wait, there's less. 249 Seriously? 249 for a 3D printer. Oh, wow. Um, and you know, like many of them, they accept, uh, you know, I, I still forget. There's a standard file format that you, uh, you know, that all 3D printers accept here. And this, this one's no different. But, okay. Uh, but the price of these things is tumbling because I, I saw some others at another show and they were in the, the they were in the hundreds. Yeah. But none of them this inexpensive. So wow. 
So again, I think we're going to see this come up uh, by the end of the year. But if if you want to get into the <laughs> get into that whole thing, that that's a that's a pretty ama- amazing price point. That's pretty cool. That's pretty good. Wow. Wow. Two hundred. Oh, this is cool. It's going to be a fun year. Like I can see it already. I, I'm trying to think what I want to print now. <laughs> I know. I know. Wow. Cool. Uh, I wonder what the uh, uh, and I know we got to move quickly here, but I'm I'm curious what the quote unquote ink costs for these, right? I mean, I realize it's not ink; it's it's plastic. But you know what? What, what if I wanted to make yeah. a you know if I want to make a mug, what does it actually cost me to make that mug, right? It, you know, uh, so you know, I think that's the whole it's the whole razor and blade, uh, yeah, you know, handle and blade argument with anything is that yeah, I think with any 3D printer, it's not so much the cost of the printer. So in the past it was, uh, right. it looks like now, now it's not anymore, but then yeah, the, the supplies you, you, yeah, I'm sure they're, uh, you know, certainly cost more than printing on paper. <laughs> well, of course, of course. Yeah. I would expect that, but all right. Uh, let's see. We have from Lee. He says, if you're a Spotify, Spotify premium customer, then do you do yourself a favor and check out spot EQ for iOS. As a music fan who's been here, who's hearing has seen better days. This EQ does wonders. It's a 30 band EQ, which also acts as a Spotify client slash player. At last, a smart developer has added support for EQing both streaming and synced downloaded tracks. The app does a pretty great job of uh, presenting your existing playlist, searching for tracks, creating playlists and setting up an a la carte song queue. It's easier to use than the Spotify app. And it's two ninety nine. Totally a necessary Spotify uh, addition for anyone who is a Spotify premium customer. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, and, you know, while we're in that realm of new audio players, uh, I wanted to talk about Overcast, which is a new podcast app from um, uh, from Marco Arment. He was uh, the original developer on Tumblr. And then he uh, wrote Instapaper and he had the magazine going for a little while. Overcast is his current project. It's got two cool things in it um, that I actually really like, although one of them shouldn't be necessary uh, for any podcast, though it is for some, but not this one. Uh, So it's a podcast player. Overcast is uh, voice boost is essentially a compressor that it's got built in that will automatically adjust the levels of uh, people in a podcast. Now we do that ourselves here because we believe that, uh, the levels should be consistent when you listen to a show, but not every show does. And in fact, a lot of popular shows don't Lisa and I were listening to uh, something on the way. I, f- I forget the show, uh, the morning stream with Brian Ibbett um, uh, on the way down to Virginia. And we, I mean, th- there were t- two people and then three people talking and it was so hard to hear one of them that I told Lisa, I'm like, all right, go download overcast. I knew this feature was in it and buy the, the it, it's free to download. And then I think you pay five bucks for, for a couple of extra features. This one included. And I'm like, just buy it. Cause I want to listen to the show. And so we did. Uh, so that one's cool. And unfortunately shows still need it, even though they shouldn't uh, because the podcasters should be releasing quality audio. Uh, number two is a thing called smart speed, which is something Marco wrote entirely from scratch. What it does is it cuts out the gaps in the show. So when there are pauses, smart speed does its best to close those up and it does so without making it sound crazy, um, on most shows. So, uh, so definitely worth checking out overcast. Uh, obviously yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. It's not overly done so that you're not, you're not, uh, you know, 
you're not feeling like it's nuts. So, because I remember we we had an experience with that when you and I first did the started the podcast. Well, Brad Gibson manually took one of our shows and cut out a lot of things, but it wasn't just the spaces. It was the you know he cut out the ums and the ahs, but it it was too packed when uh when he did that that was my reflection too it was it was difficult to listen to because it didn't give people a chance to to rest their brain Mm -hmm. (laughs) marcos for me marco seems to have found a nice balance as soon as i heard it i thought i want this in the mac geek app um and i you know my thought was what engine did he use and as it turns out marco used his own engine so we probably won't uh, maybe we can license it from put it in the mac geek app i should talk to him about that because uh because that would be a great thing to have. Uh, not um, that we have a ton of dead air, but um, um, well, it's not going to cut out your ums. That you know that that that's different, but um, but it works. So anyway, so there's that. Uh, let's see, listener. I I found this thing um, called Speechmaker from PlumAmazing.com slash iPhone slash Speechmaker, and it's a teleprompter app for the uh for the iphone or ipad and you can create uh speeches inside it and then uh have it pace you through them uh, pretty cool stuff and uh and it works on the iphone or the ipad so uh, i wanted to throw that out there because i like uh you know it's cool stuff that's how we do it so that'll be in the uh that'll be in the show notes definitely worth checking out uh ian sent us a pretty cool thing john uh, you know, those, those cool photo frames that, uh, that you, you have on your desk or whatever, and, and it's digital, right? And you, you can see pictures from your most recent vacation, whatever you want to put on there. Well, uh, Ian found an article that I'm trying to desperately find in, uh, oh, I know why I can't find it because it's just right here in front of me. Uh, but he found an article at verantha.com uh, about hacking together a Wi-Fi photo frame with a Toshiba Flash Air SD card and Flickr uh, using, it's called Airframe that this guy put together. And uh, it's a Python script that he wrote. He posted it on GitHub that will automatically pull photos matching a given set of tags from a Flickr account and then wirelessly push them to a Wi-Fi enabled SD card sitting inside an inexpensive digital photo frame. So... Uh, you can do a, he says, uh, you can have a wireless photo frame for a hundred bucks, well under a hundred bucks with an eight inch digital photo frame. And, uh, and he says, and if, if you want, you can get a 15 inch display and still keep the cost under 150 bucks if you're willing to do some, uh, some legwork on your own. So we'll put this, we'll put this blog post up there for you do it yourselfers. Uh, and I know there's a lot of you out there. This can be a very, very cool thing. So, uh, so we'll, we'll put that out there. Did you had you did you read through the post, John? No, it sounds interesting though. It is, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, toss my last one in here, Dave. Which one is this going to be? Well, I'm going to answer because you you had a question about this device, and actually, uh, unbeknownst to you, I I kind of uh, shuffled away and and tested your hypothesis here with this last device that I'm going to talk about. Mm. I want to talk about it because I think it is very cool and it fills a gap that that I think someone needed to fill. Okay. So let me, uh, let me, let me get the, All right, you, you get it up. I'm going to talk about three more because I just want to keep things moving here and, but we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, control center for the Mac. You know, how you have control center on your iPhone, uh, where you can, you know, uh, adjust all those cool little settings and everything. Well, Sindori software has control center 
for the Mac. And, uh, and it lets you turn on and off, uh, all kinds of different things. You can see your CPU usage. You can see all kinds of stuff, um, and all kinds of widgets included in it. Very, very cool stuff. So we will put that in the show notes. Are you ready or should I do another one? I'm ready. Go. Um, Thinium. Okay. Go. So I well, no, I saw that. I, I, dude, this is just such a cool product. And I don't know why <laughs> I've never seen it before here. So say you're on the road and you want to charge your iPhone, not, yeah. not a battery pack, but say you want to charge your iDevice. Like plug it into the wall and charge it. Right. Yeah. Well, that's basically what this is. It is a very, very small, like a uh, business card sized uh, portable charger. Okay. I'm just saying, you know, if 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 you if you have a wall outlet and uh, describe what it is, you got no one knows what you're talking about. It is a charger. Yes. So it has a lightning connector on it. Okay. And uh, the other end of it is uh, two prongs that plug into the wall. So you the way this thing looks is you've got it it the, the two prongs plug into the wall and then your iPhone actually rests right on that piece. It it's all one thing. There's no cable coming from it. Uh, it it's just a flat little charger. Correct. Correct. Okay. And so it has both lightning, which, uh, you know, it pops out, and then it also has a, a, a USB connection on it as well. Or I think there's a, a USB version, of course, for the latest iDevices. You want the uh, the lightning connector. Um, and it should be shipping uh, very shortly. It's it's meant for, you know, iPhone. It's one amp charging. So I guess uh, you're not going to be using it for your for your iPad, but certainly for your iPhone. But what got me, uh, you know, forty nine ninety nine. And to your question, Dave, it does work. Uh, this is a problem with some devices here, but this was designed properly. Okay. It does work fine with my iPhone in its uh, in the Apple leather case. Okay, yeah, that that because it looks like it wouldn't work with the iPhone in any kind of case that uh, adds thickness to the bottom of the phone, like around the Lightning connector. Because it's got this very small, it's a thin, it's a, it's a short lightning connector and it has, um, it's got a big wall right below the connector. So I can't imagine it would work with like most cases that people have that actually protect the bottom of the phone, which sucks. Uh, yeah, I could see that. And I, I think it's an issue you run into in a lot of cases. Uh, fortunately, at least the Apple case, um, the, the area surrounding the lightning connector, there is it, it's recessed. Yeah. So, so this, this does work. Yeah. But no, I, I think it's, well, that's a concern with, with a lot of things. Once you add a case, uh, a lot of accessories, uh, you know, are kind of a problem because they, they don't take that into account. Yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's the, you know, I saw this thing, whatever. Yeah. It, it seems dumb. If it doesn't work with the, with it, <laughs> well, no, honestly, it, you know, it's portable, right? And it, it does, it's got a USB connector on it too. So you can run it from your laptop or you can plug it into the wall. But for 50 bucks and, and something that's supposed to be portable, I would expect it to work with, you know, most cases because most people keep their iPhone in a case and most people don't use the Apple case. Most people have, you know, some third party case that actually protects the bottom of the phone. And I, I just think anything that doesn't take that into account is stupid. Uh, you know, I mean, if it's some custom thing like the game connectors or whatever, that's different because it's just sort of how it works. But for something that's supposed to be portable and travel. Yeah. Um. All right. Couple more. Uh, David says a nifty device that interfaces an iPhone with a DSLR called Trigger Trap at TriggerTrap dot com, and uh, it does. 
it's uh it it's a it 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 uh he says it uh let's see i've been using it uh i've been using I have been using a sound to trigger the shutter. Plus you can build a slight delay into the trigger so you can take selfies by hand clapping a whole bunch of other stuff. I've not had time to experiment with either. So they have weird pictures on their website here, but uh, nothing that makes it obvious what this thing does other than somehow linking your iPhone with your DSLR. It's one of those things that I'm not sure why I put it on the list, John. Can you, can anybody tell what this thing does when you look at the, uh, when you look at the website? Anyway, we'll move on from that. That's probably a dumb one. Uh, this one you might like, John, if you want to, uh, if you're, if you're someone that enjoys using aperture, he says, uh, Simon says, I have bemoaned the lack of the option to copy an adjustment layer, say for changing the saturation to another adjustment, say the blur effect in the same image. The problem arises when you have carefully traced around certain parts of the image. Uh, officially, you have to do it every time for every adjustments, both overly time consuming and prone to induce variation. After some searching, I found an article. Uh, and while the solution is geeky, it does work uh, that allows you to copy adjustment brushes and layers in aperture. So we will take this article. Uh, it's a how to and uh, and put this in the show notes as soon as I can find his URL here. But we will we will do it. So I thought you might appreciate that, John. Do you uh, do you do you do do you do photo adjustments in Aperture? Uh, nothing very complex. Uh, sometimes I'll do auto enhance, which yep. uh, you know, does a whole bunch of little tweaks, or uh, or sometimes I do one or two. But yeah, I, I don't get a terribly terribly complex. Okay. Okay. So, yes. Aperture brushes. How to copy them. It's good. And then lastly, I think lastly, do we have anything else, John? That's that's good. Uh, he says, you've talked about this. Bruce writes, you've talked about this subject a number of times. Clone eject is an Apple script from Tracy Velo that solves the, an annoying problem with spotlight and backup clones. You use removable drives to create a clone of your startup drive or some other drive using super duper data backup or similar software. And if you have spotlight running, which we all do, it will begin indexing the removable drive when you mount it, which in turn will make your cloning process take nearly twice as long. Clone eject is a free download for Macs with Apple script available as simple source code or as a pair of drag and drop acts apps. The script takes effect when the volume is remounted, i.e. not until it is dismounted after running the script. So there you go. Clone eject. We'll put it in the show notes. More and more stuff. More and more stuff. What else do we have, John? Anything else on this list? I think, I think there's one more that I wanted to talk about. that seemed like good stuff, but I'm trying to find it here. Clone eject. Oh, objective from Andy. Andy posted this to our, uh, our Google plus page. And, uh, and he says objective is a handy with a K O B J E K T I V E handy little app to change your default. Um, oh shoot. Stupid Google thing. Oh yeah. Let you switch your default browser with ease. Uh, just a handy little utility right out there. You can download it from github.io from uh, NTH loop. Well, we'll put the link in the show notes and uh, it lets you switch your default browser 
very easily. So uh, similar to that thing we talked about earlier in the show where you can uh, open links in Chrome. If you want to change your default browser because you're going to be opening a bunch of, of links, you can pop it open and then back with objective. So we'll put that there too. Good. Anything else, John? No, no. I think we've, I think we hit most of them. We did pretty good. I'm trying to think. I thought there was one other that was going to be cool, but you know, it's how we go. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still upset about this thinium thing, John. For 50 bucks, it should work with a case. Well, it works with my case. Yeah, it should work with all cases. I mean, it should work with it's typical cases. I think it's dumb. Uh, well, and it also has a, a, oh, well, the other thing is, yeah, it has a USB connector, so you can plug right. it into USB. Right. Um, no, I got a pre-production one as well. But no, hey, it works with my case, so it may not work with your case. Yeah, I also, I, you know, um, I'm not convinced of, I, I, I've, I've had these things, right? I mean, I, I've had one for the, the uh, with the 30, with the dock connector. I mean, this is not a new concept, right? People have been making these for, for a long time. And I've never found a time when I want to charge my iPhone sitting on the wall, right? It, when I'm in a hotel room, I want my iPhone next to the bed because I'm probably using it as an alarm or whatever. You know, I want like a 10-foot cable, not a no-foot cable. Mm-hmm. So that's my thing. It's the, yeah. it rarely that's... is that convenient to, you know, to hide my phone behind the lampshade while I'm charging it or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's you. I know. You know, I noticed the other thing. You know, one thing, uh, uh, yeah, the, one of the shows I went to as well, I got, um, uh, let me see, is it the Nude case? Which case? The Nude, I think it's called Nude. From, uh, what was it from oh, there? from, from uh, Life Proof? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even that I noticed, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, at least this case here, I believe it, it makes your iPad waterproof. That's very nice, but it does kind of obstruct the uh, lightning port a little bit. Yeah. Which, you know, hey, it's kind of the price you pay when you when you have a case. Yeah, but you can fit a cable into it. it. I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> no, most of my cables fit into it, but I think yeah. I had problems with one of my cables. Yeah, I mean, some cables, it, the, cable. it's too short. Right. Yeah, they make that little thing, which is why I like the... Um, um, uh, the, the 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 oh now I can't the cable drive cables right because they they put really long connectors on them that that traverse the divide there which is good yeah but I like the nude case and then the, the then they also gave me the uh, the there's a cover but what's cool is that the cover um, so it slides into the case and it you know protects the uh, the front sure but it's also uh, turns into a little triangle so it acts as a little stand as well oh nice. Yeah, the nude case is is interesting because um, it doesn't protect the screen, right? I mean, it, you're you're Correct. It, it, which yeah, is the screen is totally is, is still exposed. Uh, uh, on the other hand, it you know does allegedly though I haven't tested this yet make it make it waterproof. It does. It seals around it. It's just really weird to think about putting your um, you know your your iPhone or your iPad underwater with the screen totally bare. Um, but it does. Yeah. It seals well, around it. This, it's fine. Yeah, as long as yeah. the seal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is kind of unnerving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And again, I haven't found a, a, a reason to uh, do any underwater action with my iPad up until this point. 
Well, maybe, maybe maybe I'll go to the beach and you know go swimming around. Well, that's what it is. It's I, I'm not convinced I would ever put. I've used a life proof case when I'm at, on vacation, like at the lake or whatever. Um, not because I'm planning on going underwater with my phone, but uh, because then I don't worry at all about the phone getting wet, either because of rain or you know obviously the lake. And but you know, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's cool though. I mean, you know, that was one of the cool things about the nude cases. It's like, ooh, that's it's dicey. Dicey. But it, it works. No problem. But you know what's not dicey, Dave? What's not dicey? The way that you can get in touch with us. No, it totally works fine. It shouldn't be as long as your email is working. And if you want to get in touch with us, Dave, and you want to send us an email with either cool stuff found or in question or a question or an answer or a clarification, you can send an email to feedback at MacGeekab.com. You said feedback at MacGeekab.com. You heard me right, brother. I said feedback at MacGeekab.com. You don't even have to use that, though, if uh, you go get the MacGeekab app, right? Just go get it, put it on your iPhone, and then you can send feedback from right inside the app. And not only can you send text feedback, you can record audio comments right inside the app. They get sent straight to John and I. And if you happen to uh, be listening to an episode and create feedback while you're listening, it will tag the email for us with the episode number, the time, and the chapter name so that we know what your email might be in reference to if, in fact, it's about something uh, that was, you know, in the show and, and you wanted to comment on or, or had something to add. So uh, so check it out. Please go check it out. Uh, the, the, the app has been completely redesigned, brand new UI. Uh, you've all, those of you that have downloaded it and are using it, uh, tell us that you absolutely love it, which I love to hear. Michael Johnston did the uh, UI work for it. Um, Corey Emdick did the uh, did the, the coding and, and pulled all the UI work together and, and made it all happen. So uh, it's a great team we've got working on the app. And uh, we certainly would appreciate it if you would go and check it out. So there's a link to that in the show notes. And, and even if you don't have the app on your iPhone, 206-666-GEEK is the phone number you can use to call us, which, John, is... 4335. It sure is 4335. Uh, Michael Johnston uh, deserves extra thanks. Not only did he create the awesome uh, UI for the new Mac Geekab app, but he also is the producer and host of the iOS show. And he's the guy that turns this into an AAC with all the chapters for all of you. Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. So for both uh, Michael and Cashfly, please offer them your thanks. I would like to thank Michael and Cashfly as well. The podcast marketplace, other people that we'd like to thank are our sponsors. As I mentioned, of course, Smile at SmileSoftware.com, Barebones at Barebones.com, Gazelle.com. Squarespace.com with their MGG uh, coupon code for 10%. iFixit.com. It's all good stuff. Harry's.com. Coupon code MGG gets you five bucks off on your first order from them, too. Drobo. And the Connected Data Transporter, folks. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, lasting advice. Anything. Anything? Anything. Wooden nickels? Don't take wooden nickels. That is good. You know, because if you, if you took a wooden nickel, you get caught and you, you don't want to get caught.
Almeida.